G'day, this is an abridged version of the episode that you can hear in full by signing up at uncomfortableconversations.substack.com slash subscribe. Enjoy the freebie. G'day, humans. So uh, I am in West Africa, uh, as you do, uh, as you do of an April. Uh, yeah, every April, I'll have come to West Africa, soaking up the sun. Uh, that's not true. West Africa's funny. Well, I mean, where do you even begin in describing this trip so far. I'm sitting in a, uh, a hotel room in, <laughs> it's the first time I've had a, a cold air-conditioned room uh, with Wi-Fi. Uh, so now I have the opportunity to, to share some, some of my first observations with you. We've been here uh, almost a week. And this is a part of Africa that is not, this is not South Africa. You know, this is not the Africa that has an infrastructure for tourism and has things for you to see. This is the Africa that's just going about its own damn business and doesn't give a shit whether you come or not at this point in time yet. Uh, it's, uh, I haven't seen a single McDonald's or 7-Eleven or something, which might sound obvious, but if you've traveled much through the developing world in places like Thailand and you know, India, then you're familiar with a sort of, a sort of developing world country that kind of rhymes a bit with what we're familiar with. Uh, and I imagine, not having been, that the places, uh, there are other countries in Africa which are more like that, which are more amenable to uh, to openness towards the outside world, kind of understand what travelers want and need, know how to do an Airbnb, have some level of credit card you know, provisions, have various air-conditioned convenience stores with the sorts of things that the, that middle-class people like. Not that here. None of that here. And it's fantastic. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. It's, it's one of the first times in my life since I guess I was backpacking around Southeast Asia in my late teens and early 20s, which is, let's face it, going back two decades now, that, that I've had the experience of being in places. And back then, even back then, you had to really stretch. I mean, we had to go into the remotest parts of Laos to find villages that were essentially completely untouched by tourism and have unfortunately now been ruined. You're welcome. You're welcome for being the tip of that spear. Um, now they're full of, uh, you know, uh, they're full of bed and breakfasts, full of Israelis uh, smoking weed and uh, drinking a lot of beer and partying. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Just not exactly the vibe that I was looking for on this trip. Uh, the vibe I was looking for on this trip, how did this come about? Everyone's saying, by the way, I'm not going on the television show I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Uh, this is not what this is. Uh, I've received a number of messages, as has my husband, uh, when people have seen like an Instagram story of me in some random African airport. They're like, oh, congratulations, Josh. I didn't know you were on I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Because obviously there's no other reason why one could be interested in understanding or appreciating the massive variety of African cultures except to go on a uh, reality television show. So thank, thank you for that, uh, that nod of faith in my own credibility and uh, adventurousness. Uh, so no, I'm not on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. I'm actually doing this voluntarily. Why? You say, Josh, you say, there are so many places you can go in this world. You could be sipping a Mai Tai at an infinity pool in Bali. What are you doing uh, backpacking around the dusty streets uh, of some uh, African hellhole? Uh, I'll say on behalf of my West African friends, don't call it a hellhole to begin with. They don't appreciate that. I learned that the very first day. Uh, no, I didn't. That would be rude. Uh, the, the reason is that during the pandemic, cast your mind back 
to the long days of the lockdown, especially if you're in Australia. In Sydney during the 100-plus day lockdown in 2021 uh, or in Melbourne during the 7 billion day lockdown that Dan Andrews imposed for about 25 years, uh, my thoughts and prayers are with you. Then during those dark days, I was chatting with uh, an old buddy of mine who lives abroad, lives in Europe, and uh, we were saying, holy mother of God, when this thing's over, uh, I just want to go somewhere totally random, completely off the beaten track, just go backpacking like we used to when we were in our teens, early 20s, when we used to go around Indonesia and India on various misbegotten trips uh, with no particular plan, just to sort of soak up the, the differentness of it all. And, uh, and yeah, when, when there's no more lockdowns and when there's no more threat of viral infection, uh, life-threatening viral infection, because there are lots of viral infections that one can get here, which I've had, as my toilet will attest to, although it could be bacterial, not sure. Uh, anywho, uh, when there's no longer a threat of this particular respiratory viral infection doing us any harm, let's go to a place and just, like, lick everything dirty. Let's just inhale other people's breath, uh, maybe pash a lot of people, give them a big old tongue kiss, random strangers in the street, uh, lick telephone poles, uh, lick the ground, just ingest as many dirty germs as we can in the glorious knowledge uh, that it's probably not going to kill us. And so we thought about places we could go. Colombia was considered for a while. Going back to India was considered for a while. That's so big. It's a whole universe in itself. You could, you could do 100 trips to India and never see the same type of thing. Well, except for Indians. You'd probably see a few of them. Uh, be a weird part of India, wouldn't it, if there were no Indians there? You go, what's this corner of India? And they go, well, this is the corner of India where there's only Texans. You go, I didn't know there was a... The state in India where there's only Texans. That's like, oh, yeah, we've been here since 1862, not an Indian inside. Um, so ex with the exception of that fiction, fictional Indian state that I've just invented, uh, there, there aren't many places in India where you can go where there aren't Indians. So we went, let's go somewhere where there are lots of not Indians, but other types of people. For example, say Africans, because I haven't been, I haven't done a lot of Africa. Not real Africa, you know? I mean, not to be racist, but is North Africa real Africa? You know, if someone says, I've just been to Africa, and you go, really, where? And they go, Egypt. Don't you feel a little bit conned? Like, well, that, well, I mean, I suppose. Oh, I went to Morocco. Well, yeah, all right. Technically, technically, you went to Africa. You didn't go to the real Africa. Well, I'm in the real fucking Africa, motherfuckers. This is the real thing. This is the real deal. Uh, so what's it, what's it like? The It's much more colourful uh, in terms of people's dress and much friendlier and much more relaxed than I'd thought outside of the cities. And, oh, I should mention where West Africa is. So West, what I mean by West Africa is if you picture the continent, you know how it's got the big jutty out bit on the top western half, like it's kind of got a big boob on the west before it goes down towards the bottom. That strip of, um, of, of bottom of the boob that goes jutting out east-west, uh, that has a run of countries, uh, Nigeria, Benin, Togo, into Ghana, and then Ivory Coast and around that. And those have uh, a, quite a beautiful coastline 
uh, much of that stretch, which is actually facing south, if you think of it. So it's not running east-west. So West Africa is that little uh, that little sort of stretch onto the boob. Um, so with the exception of the big cities, which are well, I don't have huge experience of many of them, but I've been to two so far. Uh, dirty, incredibly dirty, incredibly industrial, incredibly smoggy. Uh, some of them have huge trucks spewing diesel fumes all over you, open, fetid sewer all over the streets. Uh, just the, what you would imagine a developing world hellhole, should we use the word hellhole again, to look like. But that's sort of the rarity because a lot of the population lives in towns. And so hopping along the coast from village to village along what is really an idyllic blast of bright blue ocean, bright yellow sand, palm trees, thatched huts, and zero tourists and zero tourist infrastructure uh, is kind of mind-boggling. And the sight at sunset as you walk through the dusty streets of a town, seeing little kids in their beautiful, bright uniforms walking along the streets, some who look like they're as young as three or four, literally. I don't even know where they're going, but they'll just be walking home by themselves, is just, it's one of those, like, I got to pinch myself and go, where am I? And they have this this sort of friendly reserve because, I mean, imagine what me and my buddy look like as we're walking down these streets. I mean, I don't think, I can't imagine what the locals think we're doing here. You know, like, what are, what are they, why are they here? <laughs> why are they in our little town? What do they want to see? Where, what's here? Uh, but I guess we sort of do look like, you know, superstars. I mean, we do, don't we? I mean, I'm an Adonis, let's face it, of striking beauty. Um, and we certainly look out of place. So when when one local kid, for example, has the gumption to break the 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 wall between us, and I'm always extremely gregarious anyway, so I'm always saying bonjour to everybody. Oh, it's a Fr- these are French-speaking countries we're in. I'm not just saying bonjour to be pretentious. Uh, that's the way they say hello here. Uh, they and I, I'm fluent in French, so it makes things easier to break the ice. Uh, when they, if a child starts responding to that in a way that's positive, uh, then all of a sudden they kind of un, you unleash this 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 dam or this dike, and the, and you have like a flowing river of goodwill. And other kids come running up; they want to pull out their phones and take photos with you. And yeah, we quite a few of them have smartphones. They may not even have electricity. They don't have sewage. There are little kids shitting in the streets, and they have smartphones. Um, and you know, they'll, they'll come up and they'll, and uh, yesterday we, we spent about 15, 20 minutes before we had to drag ourselves away because word got around that we were doing selfies with some of the kids in a, in a local village that we were passing through. <laughs> and they all come running up, some of them in colorful school uniforms, some of them wearing that kind of, uh, I don't know, African uh, third world combination of a cheap ripoff, like soccer polo shirt with an Emirates or Qatar Airways logo emblazoned across the front and Adidas pants and like flip-flops with socks on. Uh, You know, so those are the gangsters and they come up with a certain swagger. And when you take the selfie with them, they give the self, they flip the bird to the photo, to the 
to the camera, uh, like as if they're better than you. But the moment you start actually engaging with them and teasing them a little bit and pushing back, they melt and open up and actually are kind of starstruck somehow that they're uh, that they're with someone from who, who hails from afar and looks like people in movies do. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's as, as exotic for a lot of the people we're meeting as it is uh, for us. Um, other initial observations, uh, it's hard to get to. It's, it's hard to get to West Africa, from Australia at least. From Europe, my friend was coming from Europe and he was like, uh, well, it's not that hard. You can get a flight, you know, there's a fair, there's a reasonable amount of lift uh, you can certainly go through Ethiopia. Ethiopian Airlines has uh, has quite a, has a lot of a large footprint uh, globally. Uh, not, I mean, Africa's massive. So even to get from Ethiopian Airlines hub in Addis across to the west is like a six-hour flight just to pop from one side uh, across to the other. Nonetheless, that's the way it's often done. So my uh, my friend was googling about one of the flights from Milan to Addis, and the flight number is flight 737 from Milan to Addis. Now, if you want to test this, you can get out your, uh, your old smartphone there and you can enter into Google Ethiopian Airlines 737. Uh, are you a good student of history? Are you a good student of aviation disasters? <laughs> 737, in addition to being the flight number of uh, one of these Ethiopian Airlines flights, also happens to be the model of aircraft that crashed in one of the most horrendous and horrific air disasters in recent times, which was the 737 MAX crash when Boeing created this turkey of a plane uh, that uh, that drove, it, drove itself into the ground and plowed itself into the ground, annihilating everybody on board and vaporizing them a few years ago. Now, when that happens, it's common courtesy that the airline changes the name of the flight. That was a flight from Addis to Nairobi and it, it was flight uh, 302 and they've changed the flight number. That, that flight number no longer exists because they don't want people, you know, looking at flight and going, oh, I'm on flight 302. Holy shit, that's the one that crashed. So they just changed the number of the flight. What they neglected to do was change the, <laughs> change the flight number 737. Uh, so that was heartening just to be reminded of that, uh, especially as I was flying in a 737 MAX on Ethiopian Airlines from Addis Ababa to Kotonou, the uh, capital of Benin. Um, and that was fun. I mean, even just transiting, you know, Addis Ababa, this huge Ethiopian airport was interesting. As, you, as you're barreling down the road, and I've got to say, Ethiopian Airlines is a great airline if you have the opportunity to fly them. They're, they're fine. They're not, it's not, uh, they're not Air India or some horrendous, uh, you know, developing world shithole, shithole airline. Um, they are, uh, so you're barreling down the, the uh, runway in Addis and just as you're about to reach takeoff speed on the side of the runway, lying on the grass is the burnt out fuselage of a crashed passenger liner. It's just sitting there like, like to remind you, I guess, of what's possible at this most risky moment in your flight. Uh, it's a nice touch. I guess, are they using it as a, like a memorial or a museum or something? <clears throat> Personally, I'd move it. I'd move it, uh, I'd move it a few hundred meters away so it's not right there as you're taking off. The boarding process was, uh, was great. He says with a slight ironic wry smirk, you get the gate number and uh, I came down reasonably late 
from the lounge and it's like ha- about half an hour before the flight's supposed to leave. So boarding should be winding up at that moment. It's always impossible. There are certain airlines, especially in the developing world, who have ridiculous boarding times where they claim that the flight boards 90 minutes before departure and closes 60 minutes before departure. So all the idiots who believe that show up really early and then have to sit by the gate. It's just a way of hurting passengers and having them ready and making them not cut it too fine. Uh, I, being a seasoned traveler, completely ignore all such requests and just walk down when I know that I know the gate's not going to close until 10 minutes before the flight is due to leave. Uh, So I go down half an hour before. It is madness. It's mayhem. It's not just a single gate. What there is is a is a departures hall that you come down into on an escalator, which contains about eight gates in it in a long stretch with big windows on the side, which lead out to buses and the buses will take you out to the plane. And there's a gate area which you can enter, which is just before the door to go out to the buses. And outside of that gate area, there's an area to wait, the waiting area. The waiting area is so jam-packed with human beings, you can't even shuffle through it. It's just a a solid block of African bodies. So I I, I spot spot what looks like a nun or something, a little, uh, she looks like she's got gumption. You know, you can sometimes tell. Uh, You can sometimes just tell that, a, that a, a human being knows their shit. And I was like, I reckon that nun knows what she's doing. So I get in her wake. You know, I'm like a, I'm like a race car, just going into the slipstream of another race car. Then I just hide behind this little four foot 10 uh, African nun as she's power, she is powering, man. There are huge black men who just part. They part, she's like, she is Moses with the, with the river. And I'm I'm in her wake. I'm uh, I'm one of the disciples, just crossing across. And uh, we get to the we get to my gate, and there's nobody there's nobody in the actual gate. Area.